Good morning, Austin Oaks Church friends and family. So good to see you. For those of you standing in the back, hopefully we can get you a seat. <laughs> Love it. Hey, we're a church that strives to be simply all about Jesus, and that's why we help people meet, know, and follow him. This morning, we have an extraordinary treat and a gift in a lot of ways. We have a great honor this morning by having our former senior pastor, Pastor Meredith Rob Harrell, coming and preaching this morning. But before I bring him up here, I want to encourage you, because I know there's some of you in this room who know him, who've been with him, who've followed him for 27 plus years. And there's some of you who are like, Rob Harrell? I want you to know something about this man. 27 years of a predetermined yes at Austin Oaks Church, formerly First EB Free. It's something we've been talking about as a church as we look at the book of Acts and going, how do we follow Jesus? How do we become a move of God? We lead and we follow Jesus with a predetermined yes. Pastor Rob Harrell is an exemplar of someone who is embodied that predetermined yes. Whatever, Lord, you're asking me to do, whatever, Lord, you're calling me to do, I'm in. Yes, ahead of time. He is that man. He's been used by God in significant ways in this city, in this church. He's brought about, I would say, honestly, revival in many aspects, in many ways. He's always been there for me when needed. I know he's been praying for me and for you as a church. And I'm going to read a little bit of the passage that I asked Pastor Rob to read and preach on this morning because I can't think of a better voice, of a better man to be preaching on this specific word. There's parts of this passage in Ephesians or in Acts chapter 20 that I go, is this man? Verse 17 or verse 18 specifically says, when they came to him, when Paul came to the elders in Ephesus, you know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about the repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Verse 26, therefore I declare to you this day that I am innocent, blameless of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. That is this man. He led that way. And as a church, we have benefited and profited from his obedience. He's left a legacy of discipleship, of helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus. He's left a legacy of launching leaders and cultural influencers all over the world. He's truly an example of a man who knows there is more. And so church family, welcome with me, a friend, a pastor, and a dear son of God, Pastor Rob Harrell. Church, would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that 
your spirit would speak. Lord, we know that when we give honor, we celebrate what you have done in an individual's life. Lord, so we give honor to the Harold family. And Lord, we also ask that in this moment, as there's a lot of emotions of, of like renewal and almost like a, um, a reuniting, Lord, I pray that we would hear clearly from your spirit. Lord, I know it's his heart that this church would continue to be used by you to be a force of good in this city and in this world. So God, would you speak through him to challenge us, to encourage us, and to move with us. So Lord, I pray that you would empower him now. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Thank, you, thank you, Brandon. Well, thank you very much, Brandon. Um, certainly didn't expect that introduction. Um, there's lots of emotions running deep for me today, you can imagine. Um, there's a lot of history here, isn't there? A lot of history from the past and a lot of history from the present. And that's where we want to live. We want to live in the present to allow God to use us in powerful ways led by his spirit, right? That's what we want. And I want to just honor Brandon and thank him for his leadership. I so uh, am delighted with him. And uh, I just love his openness to me. And... Um, to even allow me to preach today is a, is a wonderful invitation. I thank you so much, Brandon. Well, we are going to look at Acts chapter 20, so you can open your Bibles there. But I want to I say something before I look into this very emotional and powerful passage, and it's this. I learned something about encouragement at an early age. How about you? Maybe you grew up in a home that was filled with encouragement. Mom and dad always said you could do it. Uh, for me, my first real encouragement came from a man named Coach Clayton. Remember that name. He's no longer with us, but made such a difference in my life because when I was in seventh grade, <laughs> you can't even imagine that, that I was ever in seventh grade, can you? But I was once in seventh grade, and we called it junior high in those days. <laughs> and I moved from North Carolina, background with my, with my grandparents and all that, to the great state of Utah. I have to say I was the minority in that place. And not only was I the minority, I was scared to death because I had no friends. I, I didn't know what to do with myself. And there was Coach Clayton. And Coach Clayton believed in me, and he even said to me after football season and basketball season, of which he was my coach, I think you should go off for track. Seriously? What should I run? He said, I think you should run the 880. Has anyone ever run the 880 more than one time? <laughs> With my short legs and all these prematurely developed young men who I was running against with long legs. The gun goes off, off we go around the track. Four times it's around the track. And I felt that I could not finish. I thought it was done. I was, I was losing. I, I, I wasn't even sure I could even finish the race. 
But as I got to that last hundred yards on the back stretch there to the finish line, I hear this voice running next to me shouting, Run, Harrell! Run! For those who don't know me, my name is not Harrell. It's Harrell. But Coach Clayton never got it right. But he encouraged me running beside me to the finish line. And I'd like to tell you that I won. I did not, but I finished the race. And I learned that day just how powerful encouragement can be to all of us individually. Having someone in our life that says to us, you can finish. Look, this was just about one race at a junior high school Here today, we have a man filled with the Spirit of God who is saying to his children, a spiritual father who's saying to these these Ephesian elders, I want you to finish strong, but here's how you have to do it. You have to finish in the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no other way. So that's what we have before us today, a a message I'm calling Encouraging Words to Finish Strong. I appreciate Brandon reading us this passage. It's so powerful. And when we look at it, we find that there is this, this invitation that the Apostle Paul is saying to these Ephesian elders, I want to meet you. And they have one of the most incredibly emotional meetings we've ever seen in the Bible. He says at the end of this passage, when he had said these things that he was going to make his way to Rome and they weren't going to ever see his face again, they knelt down together and all of them prayed. Can you see the scene? Maybe even on the shore of of a, a great sea, they're down on their knees and they're praying And watch this, verse 37 says, they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they went with him to his ship. And if you look at chapter 21, verse 1, it says, after we had, what? torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. Now, I read this passage and I ask myself, why is it so emotional? I mean, what's going on here? Aren't these big boys that don't cry? What's going on? Well, they had done a lot of life together. That's the first reason it's so emotional. They had They had seen some very incredible things. In Acts 19, they experienced the baptism of the Spirit because they didn't even know there was a Spirit. And they were filled with the fullness of God. Demons were cast out in chapter 19. Handkerchiefs and healing. Seven sons of Sceva, the weirdest story in the world. Uh, Paul we know, but who are you kind of story burning of evil scrolls, riots over revenue losses. Great is, the, is Artemis, that huge, huge riot. 
And I say it this way, almost like Jesus in his last 40 days after his resurrection, when he taught them how to be disciples moving forward, so we see a very similar thing happening here. The Apostle Paul is, has discipled these men for two to three years. And now Paul has said, the time for my life is coming to a conclusion. And they didn't want to hear that. But here's what Paul wanted for them. He wants them to finish well. Most important, please, if you're writing anything down today, write this down. A spirit-filled spiritual father is speaking to his disciples and saying, I want you to walk in the power of the spirit so that you'll be successful. I don't in any way equate my life to Paul's in any way, but I'm wanting to say this to you today. I'm here to encourage you. I want us all to finish strong. I want us to continue to walk in the power of God's Spirit till we all stand before Him on that day. Isn't that what we want? So let's look at what Paul says and... and, and if you go back to the book of Ephesians, just to emphasize this theme of being spirit-filled, full of the Spirit, walking in His power, under His conviction, Paul writes in 118 of his book, a letter to, the, to Ephesus, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He's called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. And watch this, underline it. It's okay to mark it in your Bible if you want, especially in red ink. He says, I want you to know His incomparably great power for all of us who believe. Again, he'll write in that same letter, Ephesians 1 or 5.18, do not get drunk with wine. Instead, what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what are the words of encouragement that Paul has for these disciples, these leaders of the church in Ephesus that require, that require the power of God's Spirit to make it even possible to do the things he's saying he wants us to do? Well, the first thing he says to finish strong, and it's all about finishing strong, he says, be fearless with the gospel. Look at verse 17 of chapter 20 and see what Paul says here. He says, I want you to know that the whole time I was with you from the first day, I served the Lord with great humility. So let's take note of a couple things in verses 17 through 27. First of all, Paul says, take note of my lifestyle. I serve the Lord with great humility and passion. He says, also take note of my perseverance. I stayed with it even when folks plotted against me. Take note of my resolve. He says, now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. That's pretty powerful. That's his resolve. 
But also take note, if you would, of his message. He says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly, and from house to house, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. And then finally, take note here in this first thing, this first idea, take note of my conscience. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. So what he's saying in first order is to finish strong, we need to be fearless with the gospel. Now, now why do you think that is? Where's, why is that where we start? This is where we start. Well, for others, for others, it's the only way they can live eternally, visibly in the presence of God. They've got to receive the gospel. For ourselves... To preach the gospel means that we have to keep short accounts with the Lord Jesus. We have to live a consistent, Holy Spirit-empowered life. But for everyone, can I tell you why preach the gospel fearlessly? You ready for this? Because it's just pure fun. <laughs> now, you all know my stories of being on air, airplanes. Uh, I could tell probably 30 from the latter days, but I had a recent example that you won't believe. Uh, as you all know, too, I hate the middle seat. That's, I just I hate the middle seat. Uh, but anyways, I was on this plane, three-seater, both sides. I sit by the window, which I don't usually do because I'm getting older, and I usually need to sit in the aisle, I'm just saying. But I'm by the window, and this young lady sits next to me. So here I am by the window. Here's this young lady. And then there's another person. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to uh, uh, make it tough for people. So I usually let them speak first. And this lady, sweet, about 24-ish, something like that, asked me where I'm headed. And I say, and where are you headed? She goes, well, we're headed here. I said, where are you been? She goes, well, I just came from visiting my mom. Watch this in Utah. <laughs> oh, okay, Lord. I suppose I've got to say something then. She goes, you know anything about the main religion in Utah? <laughs> and uh, I said, well, you know, I, I went to junior high there, uh, high school there, and college there. Yeah, I know a little bit. Because well, I'm troubled about my mom. She seems to be so confused. Can, can you explain to me what they believe in Utah? And let me tell you what happened. And this is what you need to hear. The way I share the gospel these days is I, I share with them what was Genesis 1 and 2, what is Genesis 3 and beyond, what can be when Jesus comes and gives his life, an atoning sacrifice for our sins, and what will be for everyone who believes, Revelation 21 and 22. It's a very simple way to share the gospel. And that's what I did. And she goes, wow, thanks for making this so clear to me. That's, I don't think that's what my mom believes at all. And I said, well, you, you take this home with you and you tell her what she can believe. Small talk, small talk, small talk. She gets up, 
leans over to the other three people. Turns out her boyfriend is sitting in the other middle aisle, the middle seat in the, on that aisle. <laughs> they start talking. Next thing I know, she says, can my boyfriend and I switch places so you can tell him what you just told me? <laughs> Come into my office, young man. <laughs> to finish strong, the apostle says, be fearless with the gospel because it's a lot of fun. Secondly, he says to these folks, to finish strong, be shepherds of your own hearts and the flock of God. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit again has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now listen, the Bible says a lot about the flock of God and says a lot to leaders to, to have respect and to watch out. 1 Peter 5, 1, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, not e but eager to serve, not lording it over those around you, but being examples to the flock. And I love the words that Jesus said in John 10, the, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And it's no mystery, is it, at all, when, when Jesus is restoring Peter after his resurrection, after Peter had so blown it. And by the way, I'm not picking Peter to be on our team anymore, if it's me. But Jesus does. And he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Why? Because Peter had said, I don't know you, I don't know you, I don't know you. But what does Jesus do after he grants this forgiveness? He says, Peter, feed my sheep. You see, there is a great warning to shepherds who do not shepherd the sheep. Ezekiel 34.2 says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays and searched for the lost. You have ruled over them harshly and brutally, so they're scattered because there's no shepherd. It's pretty powerful. Even in that, that uh, story that Jesus says about the lost coin, the lost son, and the lost sheep. You know what's interesting about going after the one? He's got a flock of 100 and he leaves the 99 to go find the one. You know what is interesting about the story? He knows that one's missing. That's how familiar he is with the sheep. Now I am so pleased to say this is not a description of the pastors and elders of Austin Oaks Church, nor is it the description of most churches that I hang out with and pastors that I pastor now. That's good, 
but we have to guard our we have to guard that care but look he also says here not only shepherding the flock watch this he says shepherd your own heart proverbs 4:23 says it this way above all else guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life now now how do we shepherd the flock of god if we're called to be leaders or shepherd the flock called our family or shepherd those folks that have been placed under our care how do we do that well and how do we shepherd our own hearts well answer there's only one way you ready for this we have to be in the presence of god that's it don't talk about being in the presence but being in the presence and you have to find that space that works for you the best. For me, it's walking every day. I, I, just am, I just am able to unclutter my mind. For my wife, it's her closet. For you, it might be a study. I mean, wherever you want it to be. But can I tell you this? We will not be spirit-empowered and able to shepherd our own hearts without being in God's presence. There's a third principle that Paul gives to finish strong. He says, to finish strong, be aware of the wolves. I know that after I leave, he says in verse 29, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you that this could be your reality. You know, it's interesting when they were making the maps in early days. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's a beautiful picture, but um, they, you know, some of them thought the world was flat still, right? But then as they began to make maps, there were still unexplored places that they had not yet been. And you know what they would put in those on their maps? What they'd say? There be dragons. <laughs> I guess that's to keep you from tipping off the edge of the world. I don't know. But isn't that funny? Why didn't they say there be angels? No, there be dragons. You see, there are truly battlegrounds for all Christians. You know what the three battlegrounds are? You know them. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, when I travel internationally, um, the emphasis on the third group, the spiritual darkness that's all around. And the two-thirds world. In our world, uh, we, we just kind of focus on the world and the flesh. Well, actually, that's enough, I'd say. But the Bible is really clear that we should be, 1 Peter 5, 8, self-controlled and alert because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to eat someone. That's what it says. Ephesians, in this letter Paul will write later, says, finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take a sta your stand against the de devil's schemes. 1 John 5, 19. This is a verse I just discovered a couple years ago. I'd read over it and over it, but look what it says. 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Any surprise what we're observing in our world right now? If that's true? 
Jesus would say in Matthew 7, 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Hey, do you have any, do you have any wolves in your life? You, you might, and you haven't recognized it yet. Bible says in Jude, these men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds without ruin, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who will follow mere natural instincts, watch this, and do not have the Spirit. How important is it for us to walk in the Spirit so that we do not at any time in our lives become these kind of false teachers ourselves or wolves ourselves, and we can watch out for these wolves as we protect our own souls and the body of Christ. Look, I say this to the fellows I uh, lead here in the city, pastors and pastors. Uh, there's, you love to know this, 29 small groups of pastors, 179 pastors that gather once a month and you want to hear stories about wolves come to one of our meetings broken down pastors that have just been almost destroyed from the outside and from the inside it's so sad so sad you see the angels satan uses are called demons and the people Satan uses are called wolves. I could say more about this. I would encourage you how to discern it. Can I just say just a little bit? How to, um, they're, first of all, they're not usually easy to recognize, wolves. They're, but in our soul, we feel that something's not quite right about that person. And when we deal with them, we want to bring Scripture to bear because they often bring more damage than we can ever imagine. And sometimes it's when it's way too late. And if I had it to do over, I think I would have trusted my gut just a little bit more. Hey, there's a fourth principle I want you to see to finish strong. Paul says, be generous with your possessions. He says, now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing, for you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak Remembering the words of Jesus himself that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Hey, what's Paul saying here? He's saying a couple things. Verse 32, you have an inheritance 
that's greater than physical possessions. Verse 33, coveting what other people have is short-sighted and misses God's heart. And verse 34, work is a gift from God, a means for provision. And verse 35, ultimately, what we receive is not for us, watch this, it's not for us, but for the purposes of God. See, what Paul is saying here is have the right attitude about things. I love what Jesus said. In fact, the first time I ever heard this verse, I wasn't sure it was in the Bible. I had to double check. You ever do that like someone says? Well, the Bible says, well, this is what Jesus said. You ready? Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running out all over. It'll be poured into your lap. You ready for this? For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You see, Paul would go on to say to the Philippians, I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in my in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Why? Because I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, you Philippians, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. And watch this. I love what Paul says. He goes, it's not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Wow. We give because it's more about the giver. There was a fellow who spoke here some years ago his name is Alan Barnhart. Have you heard that name before? He, he spoke. He was standing right here. And, and after he finished, he, he sat down over there. And I was sitting over there. And, and this guy is interesting, Barnhart Crane. Go on YouTube. You can see his story. It's unbelievable. And frankly, I'm not asking anybody to be like him. I'm not saying that. But when he was a young college student, and shortly afterwards, he and his brother started a a crane company, and they move big stuff. Like, they could probably move this whole church. I mean, they, they, they move big stuff, like rocket launchers and stuff like that. But here's what they did. They made a decision on the front end, how much money, brother, do you think we're going to need to live our lives? And they decided it's going to be this and no more. This is all it's going to be. No matter how much the company makes, we're going to give all that money away. It's God's money anyway, and we'll just live on what we've pre-committed to live on. Well, that's okay when you're like a $100,000 business, right? <laughs> but what happened when it became almost a billion-dollar company? Well, I didn't hear the answer when he was speaking, so I waited till he sat down. I leaned over into him, and I said, Hey, Alan. <laughs> What a story, man. That's, a, that's a, you know, not my story at all. But I just want to ask you, did it get more difficult when you had millions, hundreds of millions of dollars coming in? 
I'll never forget his answer. He goes, oh, no. It became so much more joy. Man. It's about the giver, not the receiver, you see. All right, two more um, means that Paul is offering to help us finish strong. He says, in the fifth place, to be strong, to finish strong. You ready for this? And I'm glad I saved it for principle number five with only one more to go. Be comfortable with your emotions. (laughs) When he had said all this, he knelt down with all of them and they prayed and they wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was that they'd never see his face again. And after they tore themselves away, after they tore themselves away, You know, people out there will tell us to beware of our emotions. In fact, uh, I grew up hearing this adage, big boys don't cry. And I would do my best not to cry. Those folks over there are so passionate, so emotional, they go to that church, I'm not sure we can trust them. Oh, really? I know those people. And I love their emotions. We see in this story some disciples that had spent some time together doing God's work. And that causes relationships to go way down deep. There are people in this space sitting here today that have done a lot of ministry together. There's a ton of memories we share, right? There's a ton of memories you new folks share too. And there's something that happens when you gather together on purpose, filled with the Spirit, to do God's work together. You're never the same. You know something about that person, and it goes down deep. You know, honestly, I think Jesus was not afraid of his emotions. What do you think? If you want to argue with me, just remember what he did when he realized that Lazarus had died. John 11, he wept. Think about the emotion Jesus showed of anger towards the money changers and towards the fig tree that was out of season. That's a strange one, if you can... Tell me the interpretation. I'd like to know. Think about Jesus' emotions when he was abandoned and felt the full loss of his followers, but even greater, the abandonment of his father as his father laid on him the iniquity of us all. He cried out. I remember in our days and it's never wise for an old guy to be nostalgic because you leave somebody out but um, year 1998 was one of the most difficult years of, of our of my memory at Austin Oaks FEFC uh, our worship pastor six foot seven African American Lawrence Hancock's got a brain deal that put him in the hospital 
and he'd never be the same. Died in August. In May, before Lawrence died, Jaime Echeverria baptized three, went down the steps, and had a cardiac arrest right there at the end of the service. Many other troubles I could share with you but are unnecessary only to say sometimes it is that brokenness and emotion and tension and pushback and challenge that draws a people together. And I pray that all of your memories as a church are going to be positive memories that draw you together. But I'm telling you, the hardship does the same. And you know what? As I'm getting older now, I cry too much. <laughs> I, old movies bug me now. It's just... But I'm not afraid of my emotions. I'm not afraid of my passion. Hey, there's one last point I want to share with you that Paul shared with that Ephesian leadership team. If you haven't caught it, I hope you have. We've said so far, he's, we want to be strong by being fearless with the gospel, by being shepherds of our own heart and the flock of God, by being aware of the wolves by being generous with our possessions, by being comfortable with our emotions. But just in case you missed it, and I don't know how you did, but it's okay if you did, I'm going to say it now. Finally, Paul says, to finish strong, be continually filled with God's Spirit. You know, I have come to a conclusion in my life that there's only four kinds of people in the world. Are you ready for this? It's worth writing down if you want to. And then you can judge them too. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Number one, there are people without Christ and without purpose in the world. Okay? Number two... There are people without Christ, but have purpose in the world. Now, you might say it's not the best purpose, but they have a purpose, and we should grant that. Thirdly, please listen carefully, there are people who have Christ in their lives, but don't have the Holy Spirit power through their lives. Holy Spirit's there if you're a Christian, for sure, but they are not depending on the power of the Spirit to live their lives. So finally, you understand who the fourth kind of person is? It's the person who has Jesus, but also depends on the power of the Holy Spirit to live through them so that, watch this, they can finish strong. And I'm going to say this to you. I hope you'll heed it. If not, it's okay, I guess. I don't know anyone in this room that wants to limp to the finish line. No. 
I think everyone in this room wants to live a life that's pleasing to God so that one day when we stand in his presence, we say with open hands, Lord Jesus, I followed you every step of the way. Well, how did the church at Ephesus do with these very strong words of encouragement to finish strong in the power of the Spirit? Well, at first they did well, that's for sure. In fact, Ephesians, the letter they received from Paul, is one of the greatest letters in the New Testament. But a few years, things changed for them. And in AD 90, it looks like they'd forgotten. As Jesus appears on the island of Patmos and tells John about the future, which he had preceded by telling John about the present, the seven churches, he said, Jesus said, and just let me say, it's significant when Jesus speaks to you. If you're a church and Jesus speaks to you, you better listen. Jesus said, Church of Ephesus, you, you work hard and you persevere through hardships and you have discernment. That's great. You've stood by and for my name and not grown weary. You are to be commended. Way to go. But I've got one thing against you. One, just one. But it's kind of a big, significant issue. You have forsaken your first love. Third kind of person, right? You get Jesus. But you don't have his power. So what do you do, Jesus says? Three words, write this down. Remember, repent, and return. And my friends, that was not just words to the church of Ephesus that those are words to us. The world needs to see what can be done through a person who is so filled with the Spirit of God. In fact, I, I love this quote. I hope it's appropriate. Maybe you won't even relate to it because it's from an old, old song, but I had a friend who used to say, I want to be so filled with the Holy Spirit of God that if a mosquito bites me, he goes away singing, there's power in the blood. <laughs> so let me be Coach Clayton for you today. Be encouraged. Finish the race. Walk in the Holy Spirit. And run, church, run. Our Father, we praise you and thank you for your word and its power, the way it penetrates our soul and shows us things we don't even seem to know are there. I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. And that's what we are. Lord, I thank you that I've had spiritual fathers in my life all along. And I pray that you'd be raising up spiritual fathers in this fellowship to speak clearly and with conviction. 
that there really is no other life for a Christ follower than the life that is filled with the power of your Spirit. Lord, from the church of Ephesus, help us not to hear like a person who goes and looks at their image in a mirror and wanders away and forgets. Help us to hear and remember all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.